And back yet for another week. You want to contact Lior anytime, I'll give you an email. Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com or 1-855-821-5900 will be the number to get a hold of. As we get into stuff about uh, getting ready to be terminated, it's, 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 it's kind of a scary topic. But before we do that, we will get into the week that was. That's right, John. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Welcome to all our listeners. Uh, happy to be back here. Want to talk about employment law. This is the Employment Hour. You find out about your legal rights at work. And we start off by talking about a couple of situations that I saw and dealt with uh, this week. Uh, one of them, a happy ending. The other one, not such a happy ending. The first one that does have a happy ending uh, relates to the topic of a termination for cause. And, and John, I often talk on the show about how difficult it is to terminate for yeah. cause. And as a reminder, obviously, to our listeners, a termination for cause is a situation that allows the employer to terminate without severance, without notice. Uh, and and uh, this example that I'm going to give you puts that into perspective. Uh, this gentleman that was my client had worked for a large company for about 20 years. He was a good employee, good performance reviews throughout his career. Now, a few months ago, he made a pretty big mistake. Uh, he entered the wrong code into the payroll system when he was doing payroll, okay. and that resulted in uh, an overpayment uh, to a bunch of people uh, because he entered the wrong code, so a bunch of people got paid more than they should have. Now, obviously, that wasn't good, and he absolutely should have been more careful, a lot more careful. Mm -hmm. That's not something that was right. But the real question was, is this cause? Does this allow his employer to terminate his employment without any severance? His employer felt that it was, and they did terminate him supposedly for cause. They didn't pay him anything. However, my view always was that it's not cause. This was an honest mistake that was made by a, by a good employee with 18 years or 19 years of good service. Uh, and it did, because of that, it didn't allow his employer to let him go without severance. There was no prior issues, etc. So uh, we had to deal with this matter, and we settled it in this past week on the basis of 18 months' pay, which is a very good result. So again, we went from nothing, which is what the company offered him initially, to 18 months' pay simply because it wasn't cause. And remember, John, cause is an all-or-nothing situation. Either the employer has cause 100% or they don't have cause at all. No, no such thing as 99.5% cause. And in this case, clean record, long service employee, honest mistake, as bad as the mistake was, did not amount for cause. Therefore, he got his full severance. If he'd done it four times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, But one time only, obviously, the guy messed if up. If he did four times, the employer can say, what more can we do with this employee? We can't yeah. have him here. So that's cause. Right. But an honest mistake doing this job for many, many years, yes, he absolutely should have been more careful. No one said that he didn't do anything wrong, but it wasn't cause. Next one. Next one, John. Again, not, not such a happy ending. I, I received a call uh, this week from uh, someone that, that heard the show. Unfortunately, she heard it a bit too late. Uh, what happened in this situation, she had worked for a company for six years, for six years and she uh, found out uh, some weeks ago that her employment is being terminated. Uh, again, a restructuring, nothing to do with her or her, or her performance. Uh, but the employer said is, we're giving you six weeks notice, employee, and at the end of that, we're going to pay you another four weeks pay. Uh, so they offered a six weeks notice, four weeks pay. She knew that her minimum entitlements were six weeks, uh, and she felt that they owe her more than the extra four weeks. So she said, "Well, you owe me six weeks anyway, so I'm just not going to work. I'm going to I'm going to leave, and you still have to pay me money, etc." And then she contacted me and said, "Okay, now can you get me my full severance?" And that's when I said, "Wow, I I, I can't believe you did this." And and here's why. By leaving when they told her they're giving her six weeks, she is now considered to have resigned. Right. 
Uh, and that's awful. It's awful for several reasons. Number one is she's not even going to get to six weeks because she resigned. Number two, she would have probably been entitled to a total of eight to nine months severance. She's not going to get that. And number three, maybe just as bad, she is not going to qualify for EI, for employment insurance. Because for, in the eyes of the employment insurance people, she would have quit her job. And you do not get EI if you quit your job. So even though she really was terminated, because she quit before uh, the, the notice period ended, she decided not to work it. That's a resignation. Mm-hmm. No severance, no notice, no EI. And she would have gotten about eight to nine months pay. So really, the lesson here is a general one. And the lesson here is do not assume what your legal entitlements are. Do not assume that you can do something without getting proper legal advice. She assumed in this situation that she doesn't have to work the six weeks and still get her full entitlements. That was wrong. Had she called me, I would have told her, no, you work your six weeks, and at the end of that, I'm going to help you get the eight or nine-month severance that you're owed. No problem. She would have gotten EI. She would have gotten her eight, nine-month severance. Life would have been fine. So please, if you're in a situation, if you lost your job, if there's something happening in the workplace, something has changed, give me a call. Please don't assume you, you, you can deal with your legal entitlements on your own or that you even know what your legal entitlements are. Before we take a, a quick break, tell us briefly about the severance pay calculator for the first time. Today. Yeah, the, you know, we'll mention it again also later, I'm sure. But the severance pay calculator calculates the amounts of severance that someone should be getting if they lost their job. Works for employers, for employees. So if you lost your job, if you're worried about you losing your job, the first place you can go to, it's free, it's easy, is severancepaycalculator.com. I'm going to tell you how much severance you're owed based on your age, position, and length of employment. It's accurate. It works well. It's free. It's easy. I encourage everyone to use it. We'll take a short break. The number is 1-855-821-5900. And you want to email, it's Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We'll get to some emails later on in the show. But when we come back, we'll get right into getting ready to be terminated. This is the Employment Hour. On Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. And you want to get a hold of the or sometime this hour or afterwards, as a matter of fact, 1 855 821 5900 and Leor at employmenthour.com. As promised, we're going to get right into this. Uh, the topic for the next little while, getting ready to be terminated. So we're now uh, we're now close to the holidays. Uh, Remembrance Day is over. We're back into what people call generally full swing of Christmas. Uh, in your experience, do, uh, do companies still let employees go this time of year? Yeah, and you know we are in that kind of last real final stretch before the before the Christmas holidays, uh, and uh, you know oftentimes people ask me, you know, do I lose my job? Can I lose my job? Or is my employer going to be mean enough to me to terminate my employment? And you know, here's my in my experience. In my experience, you, you are not going to be terminated uh, after the second week of December. In most cases, your employer would have to be. Pretty, uh, I guess, mean-spirited. Callous. Yeah, callous, mean-spirited, nasty, whatever the word is, to, to do that, and most won't. But between now, you know, we're, we're in uh, November, uh, so till the second week of December, so for the next month or so, a lot of terminations happen. A lot of employers, they want a clean house before the end of the year, terminate employment during that stretch. They figure it's still far enough from Christmas, or we're not necessarily firing someone at Christmas time. Uh, so it is actually probably one of the, you know, maybe the second or third busiest time of the year as far as, uh, you know, my practice when we see people losing their job. So, you know, as unfortunate as it is, there's people listening to us right now that that's going to happen to them uh, over the next month or so. They may find out for financial reasons because, mm-hmm. again, it's the end of the year and companies uh, do their uh, cost cutting and, and uh, headcount uh, measures uh, this time of year. 
Uh, if you're in that situation, you know what to do. You give me a call. Okay, you said second or third most. What's number one? Uh, the, the busiest time of the year is right after the holidays in January <laughs> because then uh, the, the people that uh, the employer did not want to let go before the holidays are going to be let go early in the new year. After they spend all the money on the Christmas gifts, that's when they're going to let go. So January generally is the probably the busiest. January, February, the busiest time of the year. The year has ended. We've decided what we want to do in the next calendar year, and employers are going to let people go. Sometimes, you know, people listen to the show, they call in, they say, you know, Leo, I've still got a job, but I just, I got this, just me, you know, my spidey senses tell me something's going down probably in the next few weeks now that you've mentioned in the new year. So maybe you've piqued their interest uh, in that regard. Is there something they could do to, in advance to prepare for this happening? Because, you know, you can't stop it if it's going to go, right? No, you, you can't stop. And, and believe me, a lot of the calls that I get is, you know, Lior, I think my employer is planning on letting me go. What do I do? Yep. Or how, you know, essentially people want to know, how do I stop that? Because no one wants to lose their job. You know, they, they, obviously it's frightening. It's, uh, it's, it's unpleasant. And as you said, John, there's really no way to stop that. There's no way. If the employer is going to let you go, they have a right to as long as they pay severance. And usually you cannot do anything about it, even though you've done nothing wrong. The key here is to make sure, number one, is that you don't give your employer uh, any grounds to consider letting you go for cause. So, for example, well, I think my employer is going to let me go as part of a cost-cutting measure in the, near, in the near future. So why should I bother working hard? I'll just slack off, not show up to work, uh, you know, do a, a, a pretty bad job. Hmm. Well, if you do that, you may now give your employer a reason to think, well, maybe I should consider letting this person go for cause. I was going to let them go without cause, pay them severance. But maybe now they're slacking off. They didn't show up to work. Uh, they, they did a terrible work on this project. Should I let them go for cause? So don't do that. Business as usual, if you believe you're being terminated, do your good job the same way you always have. Don't let that impact you. Maybe easier said than done, but you have to do your job. Second thing is you want to have access to your employment agreement. Well, you still can, Well, right? you still yeah. can. Get a copy from the HR office or find one employment agreement or any other document you may have signed. Maybe you signed a non-competition agreement or confidentiality agreement. Anything that speaks to your obligations after employment comes to an end, have that accessible because we're going to need to look at that when you lose your job if that happens. Finally, if you do think your employer is going to consider letting you go for cause, mm. you think they're building up a case against you, uh, so it's not, a, it's not a financial reason that you want to let you go for cause, then you want to build your own case to respond to that. So if your employer is alleging bad performance and they've given you warnings and they've written you up, you want to do something about that. You want to put your position in writing on the record and explain why, in fact, you didn't do those things that they've alleged so that the employer is going to be that much more difficult for them to let you go for cause. Beyond your own sixth sense, what are some signs maybe you're going to start getting that you're about to get to smoked. Yeah, smoked. That's a that's a technical term. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's so a legal right. term. It's a legal term. It's very technical. Most people will probably won't even understand it. <laughs> yeah. No, uh usually if if you're if you now are, are excluded from meetings, there's always a big one, you know, meetings that used to be called into you're excluded. You're excluded from uh decision-making uh, uh processes, you know, if people were consulting with you about decisions, no longer are they consulting with you. If appointments have been changed uh for you unilaterally, uh, certainly longer-term appointments uh, if you've been asked to report everything you do to someone uh, when, in fact, in the past you didn't have to report, all these things that show either a lack of confidence or that uh, there's nothing planned for you into, into the future long term are generally signs that you're going to lose your job. 
And of course, if you're uh, if you show up for work one morning and you're called into a meeting unexpectedly and you see the HR person sitting across from you, that's it. That's kind of the the kiss of death. Uh, a meeting, a, a, an unplanned meeting where the HR person is there. That is a termination meeting. We're going to talk about the termination meeting and what usually happens in there, what you can do, what you should be aware of before you completely freak out. Uh, if you want to email Lior, we'll get into some of those as well. Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. And the number is one 821 5900 Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 one Lior's number and Lior at employmenthour.com. We continue our discussion on getting ready to be terminated. Uh, so, termination meeting, you've been called up, there's the cardboard box, HR is there, everybody's looking glum. Uh, what usually happens? <laughs> the cardboard box, you've seen one too many movies, John. <laughs> uh, know, you know, usually there's no cardboard boxes, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you've been called into the meeting, the HR person is there, you've been told, sorry, we have bad news, uh, you know, it's not you, it's us. Uh, wow, it's next girlfriend. Yeah, seriously, uh-huh. yeah, deja vu, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but we're gonna, we have to terminate your employment. Uh, and so, you know, how does that meeting go? Usually you're going to get very little information. Most most cases, the employer is not going to say anything other than we're letting you go without cause or we're letting you go for business reasons. So there's, there's not going to be information about what those business reasons were or why you were the one chosen to be terminated. And usually even if you ask for information on particular reasons, you're not going to get it. And, you know, it, as difficult as that is to accept, an employer does not have to provide detailed reason as to why they let you go, certainly if they let you go with severance. Uh, you're, you're then going to be presented with the severance letter, the severance offer or a termination letter. It's a letter that outlines what the employer is uh, offering you as a part of a termination. Some cases it's going to be in a, in a sealed envelope and you're going to be asked to take it home. In some cases, the employer is actually going to read it with you or, you know, or go over it with you and say, here's what we're offering you and here's what this means. Either way, it's a good idea if the employer is offering you to, to, to read it, you know, read it. Uh, if you're not understanding something, ask questions. That's perfectly fine. But here's the key, John. No matter what you mm-hmm. do under any circumstances, you are not going to sign on the spot. In most cases, in almost every case, you're not going to be asked to no. sign on the spot, okay? But even if you are, which is rare, you will say no. And there's no exception to that. You will never say yes. Uh, I forbid it. So you will not do it. That's you, right. You cannot do that. You need to take this offer home, understand what it means, get some legal advice. This is important. This is a big deal. So you cannot accept it. Uh, the meeting usually is going to be very brief. There's not going to be a debate, probably you know, in the order of about 10 minutes. Some companies may have what, what uh, we call an outplacement counselor there, uh, someone that hired by the company that will be offering you services if you want in terms of drafting your resume and working on your job search skills. And that person may tell you what they can uh, do for you and ask you to contact them later. Uh, You'll then likely be uh, shown to your office and asked to leave. And arrangements will be made later to get your personal items to you. So the whole thing from start to finish is going to be a bit of a whirlwind from the time you go to a meeting to the time you're in the parking lot, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But you're going to get a time limit on that. We need this back Thursday at 3 or Friday at 4, right? Which could be a few days or even a couple days from where you are now. Right. And? so the severance letter that I mentioned is going to usually contain an offer. So employee, if you sign this back and give it to us, we're going to pay you X. And usually there's going to be a deadline, John. And, you know, Friday at 5 is always a popular deadline. And when you see that, there's a sense of urgency you may feel. Like, Wait a second. I have to accept this by Friday at 5 or I'm going to lose something. If I don't sign it, what's going to happen then? 
And in a way, John, the employer is counting on that. It's a, it's a pressure tactic uh, that, you know, if you don't sign this by Friday, something bad will happen. But here's the thing, John. In most cases, that's absolute nonsense. That deadline means nothing. Your legal rights don't expire Friday at 5 or Tuesday at 3. Okay, your legal rights are what they are, and you have two years to pursue them. And I can tell that 90% of the people that are going to be in that situation, that offer that they're looking at, that they're so nervous about accepting, is going to be completely inadequate. So you've been offered an inadequate package, and you're told, hey, you better accept this inadequate package by 5 o'clock on Friday. Nonsense. So if you have that severance letter, you go to severancepaycalculator.com, you input the information, find out how much you actually should have been offered, and you give me a call. Let me talk to you. Let me find out exactly uh, what you've been offered. And if it's fine, I'll tell you, it's fine. Go ahead, sign it by Friday at 5 or whenever it is. If it's not fine, I'll tell you what exactly can be done to improve it. And by the way, John, when you know I talk about severance letters or severance offers not being adequate, I honestly, I'm not talking I about know. it being $1,000 short. You know, $1,000 is a lot of money, but I'm not talking. I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes even much more than that. And the reason, again, another reason why they should call definitely is because, what, you'd say out of 199 of them fall short, yeah, right? Yeah, certainly 9 out of 10 people conservatively, right. conservatively. And, and the other you know, 10% that maybe don't fall short still fall short, but maybe not by a lot. It's right. like, ah, it's short, but it's close enough. But 90% of the people, their severance letters fall significantly short of where it needs to be. And honestly, unless you're a trained employment lawyer or unless you use the severance calculator, severancepaycalculator.com, the only way to know what you're actually owed is to call an employment lawyer. So give me a call. We'll get to a couple emails that are piling up, so we'll do that as soon as we get back from a short break. one 821 5900 That is the number you want to call to get a hold of Lior. And Lior at employmenthour.com's email. Very simple. More of the Employment Hour coming up. Talk radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Simple number to get a hold of Lior, one 821 5900 And Lior, L-I-O-R, at com for email, which we promise we will get to right now. Got one come in from Hank, says... I was let go after eight years of working for a company. The company gave me notice that I will be working until the end of January. Do I have to stay till the end of January, or what happens if I don't? Well, I guess, uh, you know, good question. Hank's question probably is motivated by the story that I mentioned in, off, the in, top, in, yeah. off the top on the week that was. So Hank is saying that he got notice till the end of January, and obviously he doesn't want to work there if he's going to be terminated. Can I leave now? Well, as I said at the top of the hour, absolutely not. You cannot. So you received uh, you know, two or three months notice, whatever it is. If you resign before then, before that end date, that is a resignation, which means past the date that you leave, there's no obligations for you. They don't have to pay you anything else. They don't have to continue your benefits. And guess what? You're not going to qualify for EI. So, uh, so Hank cannot do that. But here's the good news. After eight years, and again, I don't know anything about about Hank's job or his age, but I can certainly say that after eight years, he's going to be entitled to more than the two or three months notice that he received. So the good news is that once that's done, once he's close to the the end, we can get him his full severance, which could be eight months, nine months, 10 months, maybe 12 months. Uh, And all he has to do is give me a call. I'll talk to him and find out exactly what he's owed. But he's likely owed a heck of a lot more. But he only gets it if he does not quit. So, Hank, uh, give me a call. But in the meantime, you're working till the end of January or unless your employer tells you otherwise. And then we can get you your full severance. 
That uh, number, Hank, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. I'll get to one more before we get into dependent contractors. Got DJ here says, uh, what options are available to an employee when his or her reporting manager is prejudiced and biased, resulting in recurring employee mental breakdowns? Yeah, and you know, th- difficult situation. So, if I understand the v- uh, DJ's questions, is she's uh, working with someone that obviously, or he's working with someone that obviously is not. Uh, a good manager and then, you know, doesn't treat uh, DJ well. And as a result, DJ's suffered, I guess, a medical condition, you know, depression, anxiety, etc. Fairly common situation. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, you know, the recourse here is to say that because of this mistreatment, uh, I'm now subject to a poison work environment. I don't have to take it. I don't have to go work in a poison work environment. Therefore, by creating this poison work environment uh, employer, it's as if you've terminated me. It's a constructive dismissal, and I can leave and require you, employer, to pay me severance. So, DJ, potentially you could leave and get your full severance and not have to bear it. That said, for you to be able to do that, you would need to be able to prove what the employer has actually done or what the supervisor has done. So if, if the supervisor has uh, treated you badly, if he's been biased, if he's used uh, uh, inflammatory or profane language, we need to be able to show that. It's not like the supervisor is going to acknowledge it or admit it. So if you if you have ways to back it up, there's emails, there's uh, recordings, there's witnesses uh, that are willing to back you up and you can show it, mm-hmm. this could be a very easy matter and you can get that compensation. If you cannot get that, if you don't have that, you may want to start documenting. So if something if the employer does something to you, write it down in some sort of a log, maybe send an email to that uh, supervisor saying, you know, what you did today was unacceptable Start creating this written record. And when you have it, that's when we may be able to to treat the employment as being terminated. So it's not enough to say he mistreated me. It's about being able to prove it. If you can prove it, if you can show it, you absolutely have recourse. Depending on what the prejudice or bias was, could there be also some human rights violation there as well? Most certainly. So if uh, DJ's uh, manager is mistreating DJ because of DJ's ethnicity or age or medical condition, that is a human rights violation. That's illegal. So irrespective of the fact that it's a constructive dismissal, that she may uh, DJ may have a, a valid human rights claim. That said, if uh, DJ's manager is mistreating DJ because the manager is just a, a jerk and, and you know, very, uh, uh, you know, bad people skills, that is not a human rights violation at that point. Uh, it may just be a constructive dismissal. Mm-hmm. So depending on the nature of uh, what's happened here, this could uh, absolutely be a human rights issue. Again, the common denominator and all that, DJ, is the phone call. And that is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Dependent contractors, you know, we often talk about, and you've had almost countless phone calls, people saying, yeah, you know, I'm not really an employee, Lior, I'm an independent contractor. But there is a third category, yeah? Yeah, and I, I did a, a presentation uh, just uh, earlier this week in Mississauga to a, a group of executives. And I talked about this whole distinction between independent contractors and employees. And you know, a lot of people are very surprised. People still believe that if you call yourself an independent contractor or a consultant, or you say you're quote unquote on contract, mm-hmm. then that's enough. And that's what it is. And remember the rule, you know, John, it doesn't really matter what you call yourself or what you uh, or someone else calls you. If you act like an employee or, or you behave like an employee, you have regular hours, get regular pay, you may be an employee. But as you've just uh, addressed, it's not just all or nothing. It's not either employee on one end of the spectrum or independent contractor on the other end. There's an in-between category where you're not really an employee, but you're not completely independent. You're not really a business person. 
And that's why we call a dependent contractor. A dependent contractor is someone that's still uh, in business for themselves, but generally gets all their compensation, or almost all their compensation from one company, is economically dependent on this one company. And as a result of that, they're not quite independent, and they may actually have similar rights to that of an employee. And that's something we want to talk about. What uh, Give me, before we break, and we'll get into it in, in more depth when we come back, what's a classic example of a dependent contractor? A classic example is uh, someone that's a, let's say, a bookkeeper, okay? Right. And the bookkeeper has three clients that the bookkeeper does work for. But for one of these clients, she spends 95% of her time, uh, been doing it for a while, so she gets 95% of her compensation, and the other two clients are very small. Well, she may be considered a dependent contractor of that one company, the one company where she gets a lot of uh, compensation from because she's economically dependent on them. If she loses the other two clients, not such a big deal. If she loses this one company when, as a client that she gets 95% of her work from, she's a dependent contractor. That's a problem. And if that were to happen, she may have the same termination entitlements as an employee. Hold it right there. We'll get to exactly that point after the other side of the break. one 821 5900 to get a hold of Lior. And it is Lior at employmenthour.com. Through email, this is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. You need to get a hold of Lior anytime, even outside the show hours. You can do so, Lior at employmenthour.com through an email and one 821 5900 Very simple. Call that number. So we're talking about dependent contractors and, uh, you know, they get to say, like your classic example, the bookkeeper gets, say, 90, 95% of her income from this one contract. So say a person in that situation is, um, you know, they let go. Yeah. Out of work. What happens? What does the company owe them? How does that whole strategy work? So, you know, the company may think, okay, let's use the bookkeeper as an example. Mm -hmm. So she's our bookkeeper. She's not an employee. She comes in when we need her to to do the books and and, and do the finances. But you know what? We we now decided we don't need this bookkeeper anymore. So we're going to let the bookkeeper go. But she's not an employee. So we probably don't owe them anything. Well, wait a second. If this bookkeeper in the example uh, that that we have is really a dependent contractor, then she has the same entitlements as an employee. So if you're going to let the dependent contractor go, you're still going to look at their age, position, and length of employment, and they're going to get the same amount of severance or notice that an employee would. So even though you're not an employee, you're a dependent contractor, you still get severance. An employer cannot let you go without compensation. So, you know, let's expand this example. So this bookkeeper has worked for the company for five years, uh, and again, she gets 90% or so of her income from this book, from this company. They let her go. She's 50 years old. She may be entitled to eight months or nine months uh, of severance. And, and a lot of people are in that situation where they lose their position, uh, and, and it's a big financial hit for them, and they think, well, gosh, you know, I wasn't an employee, so I probably am not entitled to anything, when that is, in fact, wrong. And just like in this bookkeeper example, they're owed Full severance. So how common is it for people to be called independent contractors when, in fact, they are actually dependent contractors? Very, very, very common. You know, I, I would say that in the vast majority of cases when someone is really uh, – sorry, when someone is called an independent contractor, they're not really. They're either an employee or a dependent contractor. Uh, you know, a, a, an independent contract – you know the, the, the contractor that, that's, that's coming to do, I don't know, the, the driveway in, mm-hmm. in your house – uh, he's an independent contractor, right? He has a bunch of clients. He's in business for himself. He does jobs when he needs to, uh, et cetera. He's not your employee, okay? But if uh, if you own a, a huge property and you know, or you, a bunch of properties and you have someone every day coming to pave 
driveways for you and then you've been doing this for years, then all of a sudden he becomes a dependent contractor. So it's very, very common. So if you lost your position and you haven't been an employee and you assume that you're not entitled to anything because you're not an employee, uh, they're not withholding taxes, you're right. paying your own taxes, that actually may not matter at all, not even one bit. You may be entitled to similar severance or the same severance you would get as an employee. So please make the call. Let me talk to you. Let me find out if you're really an, an employee, a dependent contractor, or an independent contractor so that I can assess what you're owed. one 821 5900 is the number. Let me ask you this then as another example before we uh, move on to an email. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking it's possibly in this position. How about a real estate per a real estate agent? Because, you know, they're, they're doing their own deals. They're making their own money, but they're on, you know, their business card might say, you know, Royal LePage or Remax or whatever, Century 21. You know, it's, it's you know, I, I, I may get some hate mail when, when I, I say this, but when it comes to uh, uh, real estate agents, uh, they're almost always, you know, when you work for a, a brokerage house mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, some other broker, uh, you're either an employee or maybe a dependent contractor. You're never an independent contractor because you can only work for this one brokerage house. You work for them exclusively under their direction with their uh, name and you have business cards and phone numbers there. Uh, you can't have, you can't be working for seven brokerage houses. So you're an employee or maybe, maybe, maybe you're a dependent contractor, but probably not even that. And Almost every real estate agent with respect to the brokerage house that they work for is treated as an independent contractor. And actually, that is illegal, uh, or certainly that's legally incorrect. So if a real estate agent is let go, they're actually entitled to the same severance as everyone else. Uh, and I almost never see that happen. And I have a number of clients that uh, own uh, real estate companies, and I've acted for a number of uh, real estate agents over the years. And in almost every one of these situations, mm-hmm. It's the Wild West. It really is. Uh, so, again, for, for those of you who are in that position, if you're a real estate agent, remember, you are probably, in the eyes of the law, an employee. It's good to know, right? Huge. If it ever comes it's, down. It, it's massive. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we take that break, we'll get to another email. Sean says, I, uh, I work as an executive assistant to the president of a company. Over the last year, I've had to work extremely long hours, sometimes as many as 60 hours in a week. When I asked for overtime recently, I was told that I don't get it because I'm on salary. A week later, the company let me go for no reason with two weeks severance. Is there anything I can do? Wow. Yeah. You know what, John? This is, uh, I, I, what's the term you like to use? A whole bowl of wrong? It's a big bowl of wrong yeah, right there. Yeah, it's a big bowl of wrong. It is exactly that. Well, let's start with the, with the overtime. Uh, she gets overtime if she works 60 hours a week full stop. Okay, there's no exceptions to that. Uh, If she works more than 44 hours a week, she gets overtime for any hours over 44 a week, even if she's on salary. Salaried employees do get overtime if they work more than 44 hours a week. There's some exemptions. For example, managers don't get overtime. Doctors, lawyers, uh, engineers, you know, professionals uh, don't get overtime. But certainly an executive assistant absolutely does. And a lot of people think, well, no, I'm not on an hourly. I'm on a salary, so I don't get overtime. That's wrong. So let's start with that. So she's owed overtime, and she could potentially claim two years of overtime, going back two years. Now, I have no idea how much that would be for her because I haven't done the math, but it could be significant. So that's number one. Number two, if she raises the issue of overtime and then she gets fired, well, guess what? That could be what we call a reprisal. If she's let go because she's inquiring about her legal entitlements or because she's seeking to enforce her legal entitlements, that's illegal. An employer cannot let you go because you're trying to enforce your legal entitlements, certainly not as relates to overtime. So that's illegal right there. So the company's done something illegal. Finally, 
without even knowing any information specific uh, to, uh, to, to Sean, uh, if, uh, if she only got two weeks' pay, guess what? She's going to be entitled to a lot more than that. Uh, again, I don't know uh, about the length of employment, et cetera, but it's probably going to be a heck of a lot more than two weeks, probably several months' pay. So she's been wrongfully dismissed. There's potential reprisal there, and she's owed overtime. So Sean has to give me a call. And do not sign anything. Oh, do my not. God. No, no. Do yeah. not sign anything. Exactly. I, I just cringe when you said the word sign. No. Cannot sign anything. one 821 5900 emails Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get into relationships in the workplace. Bow, 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 bow. Perfect soundtrack Thank for you. it, too. I mean, it's got a little, yeah, it's a little 70s. You know, you need the big mustache and so on and so forth. I'll, I'll leave it right there. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 Lior's number and Lior at employmenthour.com. That is the email. Let's get into this one. It's going to be uh, going to be dicey. Relationships in the workplace. Now, um, first of all, I mean, right off the top, should employees care if employees have romantic relationships with each other in the workplace? Yeah, and, and employers should absolutely care about this. And then and there's several reasons. Number one, oftentimes uh, there'd be a concern about productivity. You know, if I'm working with my, uh, my, my partner, my romantic partner, are we going to spend a lot of time talking? Are we going to spend a lot of time making googly eyes at each other uh, instead of, uh, that's, that's a technical term, googly yes, eyes. Yeah, from grade six. Continue. Yeah. Uh, and instead of working. So is it going to impact my productivity? Uh, you know, you know, maybe uh, we, we, we had a, a fight last night, so I'm, I'm, I'm upset at work. I'm seeing my, my uh, partner there and, you know, I don't want to work. So it can impact productivity. Uh, the second thing, well, what happens if we break up? You know, how does that impact right. the workplace? You know, are we going to be able to work with each other? Are we going to say that this person is harassing me? It, it, it just uh, creates an uncomfortable situation, which may impact the workplace as a whole, may impact others in, in uh, the workplace. That's why a lot of employers really don't like the idea of intra-office relationships because it does impact the workplace. Can an employee try to prevent them? Because you have a legal, uh, legal bandwidth there to say no, 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 no. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's, there's a fine line there because you know an employer can only interfere with the person's private life uh, so much. Generally speaking, the only time an employer can uh, do something about it is if they've instituted written policies that say, you know, it, it, it's unacceptable in this workplace to have a, a romantic relationship with, uh, with a colleague or a coworker. Uh, and if you have policies like that, you know, potentially you may be able to do something about that because an employee is in breach of policy. But even then, it's, it's limited. It's going to be very difficult to let someone go because they're in a romantic relationship unless, of course, we're talking about a supervisor having a relationship with a subordinate. That is, uh, that is a problem. That, that absolutely can impact the workplace. That's just an invitation for a disaster. So in that situation, uh, if the employer does have a policy and the supervisor should have known better, potentially that supervisor could be terminated for cause, but the employer has to have a written policies dealing with intra-office relationships. Okay, well, I'll use that point as a springboard then. So what should employers be especially concerned about with romantic relationships between employees? Yeah, certainly uh, the, the big one is between subordinates uh, and, and, and supervisors, between managers and subordinates. That that is uh, that is the most uh, difficult situation. There's going to be almost uh, you know it's going to impact others because if I know that this person is in a relationship with the boss, I'm always going to think, well, wait a second, is uh, she Maybe getting special, special treatment? Yeah. Exactly. Is uh, am, am I not going to be treated appropriately? It's going to me make me resentful potentially. And again, if that relationship ends, what happens then? The manager still has to work with the subordinate. How are they going to do that? The subordinate is going to feel that the manager is picking on me because I broke up with 
them. <laughs> so in all those situations, that's, man, another reason why employers should have policies, always have policies about intra-office relationships. Uh, otherwise, you really are stuck and can't do anything about it. I'm sure you've seen, you know, when you're practicing this, you know, a countless number of times. Any examples? Don't have to name names, but uh, just for, you know, the show's sake. Okay, I won't name you, John. That's fine. <laughs> Now you can start with me. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I I certainly have seen a a number of cases. Uh, In in one case, uh, is exactly as I said, a a male manager with a female subordinate, and uh, uh, you know they 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 broke up. And actually, no one in the workplace uh, actually knew supposedly that they were in a relationship. But when they broke up, the the female subordinate. started complaining to each other that the, the, her manager, her former boyfriend, was calling her, trying to get back uh, with her, uh, was texting her uh, at all hours of the day and night, and she filed a complaint against them with, uh, with HR, and it just became very ugly. He said, no, she's the one that, that's chasing me. And so in that situation, the employer had to do a whole investigation with an outside investigator. It did decide that, it, that the supervisor was in the wrong, and it took disciplinary measures against him. But this was a very uh, costly, disruptive event in the workplace. Uh, and uh, not to mention that you know investigators cost a lot of money, so it cost the employer a lot of money to deal with that. So you know it's good to be proactive, have policies, and if you have a policy and you do believe that someone is in a relationship, uh, it's okay to ask the question: Are you in a relationship? Is this impacting the workplace? How are we going to deal with this? Uh, you can't just sit back and hope it uh, works well. So let's look at it from the other side. There, a couple colleagues or coworkers are you know just through osmosis they end up in a relationship. What should they do? How do they handle it? You know, uh, assuming uh, assuming the employer does not have uh, a policy and so they're not doing anything legally wrong, they have to make sure that they keep the relationship at home as much as possible. They have to be professional in the workplace. It's not a, uh, you know appropriate to have these you know public displays of affection with each other in the workplace. It may make others uncomfortable. Uh, it may send the wrong message that that uh, you know that someone is getting preferential treatment. Maybe so. Be professional. Keep your your you know relationship at home. Your fights at home as much as possible. And if you are in a situation that you think your employer is going to want to know about this relationship, tell your employer. It's better that the employer finds out from you than finds out otherwise because uh, something exploded in the workplace or because someone complained. So be honest with the employer and try to be as professional as possible. Finally, severancepaycalculator.com. So, you know, you, you've been in a relationship and you've been let go and you want to know how much severance you're owed, hmm. well, or, or in any other situation, you go to severancepaycalculator.com. We mentioned that briefly at the top of the show. Uh, it's an accurate tool. We created it. Uh, John, about 300,000 people to date have used it. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, I it, it's a huge, huge amount. Uh, we're very proud of it. It's accurate. Uh, and, you know, uh, th- there are lawyers now. They won't talk to me, by the way, John, because they're upset that I created it because they can't charge 1100 bucks as they used to uh, to to find out how much severance someone – or to tell someone how much severance they're, they, they're owed. You're too honest, man. You're too I am honest. honest and That's I believe in access to information. So severancepaycalculator.com. Find out how much you're owed. Get the real truth. And any questions, any concerns, you can always call me. And before we wrap, terminationquestions.com as well. We answer questions on terminationquestions.com. It's an extension of this show. Ask questions morning, day, and night. Maybe you didn't get through on the show or your email wasn't read. Ask me the question on terminationquestions.com. I will answer it right there. Anything to do with the workplace, happy to talk, happy to give you information, and it's anonymous. Until next time, one 821 5900 to get a hold of Lior. You can email anytime as well. As he mentioned, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. This has been the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.